This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. It is, it is a joy to be home, to be with you all, and to be here uh, sharing a little bit of what the Lord has given me over, over the last something like 15 years, just as he was uh, shaping and uh, challenging me and encouraging me, and I'm just so honored to be able to have um, an opportunity to, to share with you all about what the Lord has meant to me. Um, I know Pastor Father Trevor would, would love to be here. He does send his greetings, as does our whole church, City of Light Anglican. It's, um, we, we, we love you all, and we're praying for you, and um, just want you to know that we, we care deeply about, about you all. Um, as, as Ken and Stephen mentioned, we moved, Ashley and I moved to Aurora. We actually moved into a new house in September of 2020. Uh, so that's our first house. Very excited. We, we are in near East Aurora. So some of you might know we're, or that's the same area that Pastor Matt Woodley uh, likes to claim as his own, but now we're there, and so now we have to get along. So hopefully, hopefully we can do that. In the Near East, uh, the property we got has quite a spacious yard for, for its size and for that area. We um, were really excited to imagine what we could do there. And one of the things we quickly, promptly found out is that the yard is utterly littered with roots, just everywhere. There are roots to the left, there are roots to the right, there's roots on the ground, there's roots in the skies. They're just everywhere. I think because the former owner of the house, or it's someone who, who uh, landscaped, uh, would des- uh, decided to, um, that, that the best strategy was to let uh, the trees that were growing in the wrong places, just let them grow just a little bit, you know, enough for them to have roots, enough for them to become woody and thick, and, and then cut it right at the two-inch mark, right, so that they can stay there, so you always know, I guess, where the tree was supposed to be, and so you're bumping around, and you're trying to mow the lawn, and uh, everything's in danger, so... My neighbor and I decided to start uprooting. We, we thought, you know, we just got to clear them all, clear them all. And so we started doing that. And it's, some of it is hard. Some of it is kind of easy. Just it's a variety. Roots take uh, different depths of strength. And so on the west side of, of the house, on the wall area, there, that was the worst. We were working there one day. And in the middle of all that, there is this one root, uh, one tree stump, that is actually about six feet tall. And this tree, also the same philosophy, they just kind of cut it out at the very top. So it's a straight-edge tree trunk that is utter, it's completely dead. And so we're, we're like looking at it, and we just push it a bit, and it seems to be just about to fall over. And so one day I go out there, I'm like, I'll just do this in a few minutes, and I, I push it, and it, it won't budge, of course. <laughs> uh, so I try to push it with two hands and try my body and try to pull it and kind of move it around, and it never seems to really want to release. And I call my, my neighbor, and he comes out, and we're trying to push it around. We're kind of like using our whole body weight on it. It doesn't work. And I decide that maybe if I just uh, I'm able to use, like, all my body for this, and so I sort of wedge myself between the wall of the house and the tree trunk, and so I, I put my f- feet on it and kind of climb up a little bit, so I'm basically a bridge, and I start leg pressing that as hard as I can, and I hear a crack, praise the Lord, but it's the wall behind me. 
And so the house like is shifting in this tree trunk. It like, I don't know what, what, how it's rooted into the earth, but it's not budging. Uh, we had to eventually like, you know, dig around and kind of cut it at the roots. And, and lo and behold, there was a really deep root that went into the ground, some kind of tap root, I don't know, but we couldn't see it all. Uh, it was so deep. And so we were able to do that by cutting it at the very bottom. Of course, this image of, of roots and being grounded and being kind of sturdy is something we often think about when it comes to like identities in ways that we associate ourselves with either ideas or philosophies or, or, or parties like uh, political parties, uh, theological parties, uh, maybe sports teams. We, we root ourselves into those kinds of things. We root ourselves into stories that have been told to us about who we are or stories that we've told ourselves, stories that kind of make sense of our experiences in this life. These are all plots of dirt. We're grounding ourselves. We're trying to find stability, making sense of what has happened, what is happening. And we all do this. We all have stories about who we are. You know, we're smart, we're nice, we're not so smart, not so nice, Christian, not Christian, humble, not so humble. We, we ground ourselves in different ways. And the question that I want to ask today is not so much what are we grounded in, although that is important, and we kind of do have to start there. You might already instantly know some of those things where, like, your heart is just so closely connected, so rooted in. But I actually want to move a little bit past that question and say what happens when we are uprooted, when there is this, this storm or this, this person kicking or uh, an earthquake coming and just kind of shakes those foundations for us. What does that feel like? And, and how do we find a footing once we've been destabilized? If you've been reading through chapter, uh, through Acts, you might know that the whole book of Acts sort of takes form, it takes shape from something Jesus told his disciples, which is that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And this chapter given to us today to read and to study is the chapter of that very last part, the beginning of that last part, going to the ends, to the edges of the earth. The gospel has jumped from the Jewish community to the God-fearing Gentile community in Asia Minor, and now it's finally landed on, on a, a, a truly Roman city, on Roman colony so shaped by the ideals of Rome. And here we have the gospel arriving, and we have two instances, two kind of parties. You, the, the, the men at Philippi who resist the change, who resist uh, Paul and Silas and the message that they bear, and you have one person, the jailer, who actually receives that and lets himself be utterly transformed. What we have here at the very beginning with this first section, the, the resistors, you have Paul and Silas, they're preaching the gospel, they're doing different things, and there is a person, uh, the Bible refers to her as a slave, as a young girl, who I think is twice enslaved. She's enslaved by some kind of spiritual reality that has taken over her life that is not from the Lord. 
but it does give her some kind of ability, uh, fortune-telling of some sort. And then you have the, the men who have enslaved her, who are ex exploiting that, that so-called gift for their own profit and for their own gain. And so, of course, the gospel arrives and, and frees her from both of those. But then the attention uh, shifts from, from them to the men's response. These men have, uh, have a very strong reaction. In fact, they go from, from this exorcism all the way to this uh, claim. These foreign Jewish men are advocating customs that are illegal, unlawful for us to practice or to believe. They see this one thing uh, as, as having deep implications for their whole life. And, and Luke is very careful to say they perceive, they, they see very clearly. The first thing they see is that their wealth, their source of income is gone. You know, if you've ever lost a job unexpectedly, you know how destabilizing that can be. These guys just lost their only source, potentially their only source of income. But not only that, but that means that their family and their financial stability is, is at risk. So they feel threatened. Their family is being threatened by this act of, of liberation. But more so than that, I think it goes deeper. They, they also have like a communal uh, a sense of a social dishonor that's going to come up upon them, perhaps shame. Because they are deeply connected to a religious world here, right? This is a spirit who gives this ability. And so if, if this random God named Jesus, if this exorcism happens in the name of Jesus, and it starts expelling the powers that are attributed to the Roman gods, then you know those Roman gods are going to come back for you for letting them be dishonored. You have a whole, th uh, this whole world is being threatened by the arrival of Jesus Christ. You know, this is, this is big for them. It's easy for us to, to imagine them as, as, uh, as enemies, but these are real people with, you know, trying to live an honorable life in the community that they've, that they've uh, inherited. But this one exorcism disrupts everything. It threatens everything for them. And, and maybe you also have felt that sort of destabilizing force of change. Uh, perhaps it's from the gospel, something the Lord is challenging you to let go, but it could be things that are just hard. Maybe you feel that way this morning. Maybe you've felt that way for a season. Maybe that's a sense that is chronic for you. I've felt that strongly. I remember when my, my father passed away in 2014. If you've ever experienced that, it's, it's the sense, it's so confusing that I remember just the next morning just wondering, like, how in the world does the earth continue spinning? You know, how, how do people continue living lives, normal lives, their routines, when the world has burned down, when everything seems to be gone, everything that made sense, that anchor is just gone overnight? Maybe, like, like you, you've also had a, like me, you've had an experience of your identity uh, story being challenged. I, I grew up in, in Miami, went to school in, in Tennessee, and in both of those, I, I, was, I wasn't like the top student by any means, but I was, I was up there. I, I did my, my studies, and I, I did well, 
and then I went to Wheaton College grad school, and then I sunk all the way to the bottom. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can make it, you know? I, I thought I was one way, and I'm not. Or COVID-19 comes around, and suddenly all your friends and, and all your family is the biggest threat. Like, what do you do when you can't go to those people who have anchored you? The whole world was upended politically, economically, everything is challenged. These are all plots of dirt for us, places we anchor ourselves, we, we find meaning, we find purpose, we find identity. And I'm not saying that this is sin, just to be clear. I'm not saying that, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way, because the truth is that we're, we're humans. We're, we're just humans, and we need security. We need stability in our lives. But there are moments when that sort of wave comes at us. Perhaps something metaphorically could be called an earthquake comes our direction and upends everything. So the question is how will we be like these men at Philippi who resisted? Or will we be like this jailer who, when faced with that earthquake moment, he decided to let go of those identities that were rooting him and said yes to the Lord, said yes to the life-transforming power and love of Jesus Christ. The jailer was just as embedded as the man. I mean, don't get me wrong, he, he had just as much to lose, and you can see this. I mean, he, he, he believed in the Roman uh, law enforcement system. It was the best to that day. He believed uh, most likely in, in, the, in the Roman gods and, and his participation, the ways that he worshipped those gods. He, he was just as enmeshed in that world. And you know that he was very dedicated because they asked him to put these men in prison, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So he puts them in the maximum security prison, right, innermost dungeon, puts shackles, probably wooden beams where they can't quite move, And that evening, Paul and Silas are singing songs, or probably singing some, some oldies, you know, CCM from the 90s. Uh, that's probably what they were singing. Uh, and then this whole earthquake, the earth begins to tremble, and their, their chains are loosened, and the doors fling wide, but they don't run. They're still singing their songs, possibly. They don't run. I, I think that Paul and Silas like Jesus, never quite felt captive to Rome, never quite felt like they were endangered. I think they, they had put their trust in the God who called them to that very moment to do that very thing. They were rooted in the Lord. They had put their hope and confidence in the one who they knew would deliver. So what happens? Paul then calls out from that inner dungeon, do not harm yourself, right? Because here is the jailer, kind of coming to terms with what's happened. Presumably, the prisoners had left, and he had failed at his job. He had told a story about who he was. He was told a story that he was a Roman jailer, perhaps an honorable man, but his life was his work. And he knew that if he failed Rome, 
the system would instantly turn on him. We, we even see that earlier in Acts. That happens. So he's like, there is, there's no worth I have anymore, no value I can bring. So here he had a, potentially a sword or dagger about to end his life. And when that voice calls out, do not harm yourself, it is the voice of the Lord having compassion on the one who is truly captive. And presumably, the jailer has nowhere to turn except to that one voice that is coming out from a whole different world, a whole different kingdom. So he, he comes up to them and, and asks a beautiful, profound, and powerful question, what must I do to be saved? most likely from the hand of Rome, he doesn't want to die. But he could also be asking this, thinking about the, the, the relationship of, of the Roman gods and, and the god of Paul and Silas. Maybe he's, he's fearing the Roman gods, or maybe he's fearing the god who, who brings earthquakes. Or maybe he, like, like many of us, might feel deep shame that he has failed that identity that was given to him that he based himself on. And so this comes as an earthquake to him. So he turns and asks, what must I do to be saved? It doesn't matter why really he was asking the question because the answer remains the same. Give yourself to Jesus Christ. Give yourself fully to the Lord. Ground yourself in the love that transcends all understanding. Ground yourself in the one who has been called Lord because he redeems people, Savior because he forgives people. Ground yourself in Jesus Christ alone. He is the only one who can hold you through the storm, through the earthquakes. And the answer continues, and repent. Repent of your sins and repent of any allegiance that you have let grow in your yard, any identity that you have planted yourself in. Don't let anything and anyone claim allegiance Claim your allegiance. Don't root yourself in your identity as, as jailer or Roman or American. Don't root your, your identity in, in any particular philosophy, political alignment, sports teams. Don't root your identity in those stories that have been given to you by others whom, who may have had good or bad intentions. Don't root yourself in the stories that you've imbibed and received. Don't root yourself in any kind of financial security or assets or a loved one or, or your own sense of social confidence or physical fitness. Do not seek footing in anything that is not the love of Jesus Christ for you. Because everything else will fade. Every identity that you might let claim you will fade away. 
the deep, deep love of the Father in Jesus Christ for you is infinitely and always available right now in this very moment to you. The Father sees you. He knows you. He created you. He understands. And he loves you through and through and through to the very end of your life and beyond it. So why would we fix our identities anywhere else? Why would we want that? Praise the Lord when we are uprooted. When those earthquakes come, it gives us an opportunity to identify those places we've, we've rooted ourselves in, we've grounded ourselves in, and say, praise the Lord, now I can rely more on the love of the Lord. That moment of destabilization, that, that moment of groundlessness, of not knowing where you might turn, is the very opportunity to let go of everything that hinders us and let the love of the Lord be our only and sure foundation. So brothers and sisters, Church of the Resurrection, ground yourself in the love of the Lord. Be like children looking to their Father who breathes life. The Father who, who loves you and breathes life into you. Because the truth is that when those earthquakes do come, those are chains being broken and doors flinging wide and song and dance erupting because the Lord sustains us. We are daughters and sons, fully and utterly loved. You are fully and utterly, infinitely loved. And God's presence is here with you now. And I know that kind of rooting yourself in the Lord is, is a bit of an abstract concept. We might not know exactly how that looks. And I want to share a little bit of how that has looked for me. i got some three things I want to share with you all. You can take all three. You can take just one of them. You can just focus on what has been speaking to you now, what the Lord has been saying to you. But my question is, what do we do if we, like the colleague said, we want to run without stumbling to obtain the promises given to us. Or maybe like another colleague that says, we can be planted, rooted in, in the Lord in, in the midst of the swift and varied changes of this world so that we can be fixed there where only true joys are found. The first thing I want to offer you is, is gratitude to the Lord Gratitude to Jesus, the giver of all good gifts. Have you read in James, every good gift is from the Father of lights. Every good gift is from the Lord. And it, doesn't, it can be a physical, material gift, but it could be every good opportunity you've had, every blessing, every word of affirmation and encouragement, every, every sense of security, every loved one who has supported you. Those are all gifts. And if we cling to gifts and not the giver of gifts, when those gifts fade, so do we. So we fix our eyes on the one who gives us. And that also helps us see that we can be present even to our losses because we have fixed ourselves 
and the only one who gives good things. Gratitude to the Lord. The other one is openness. This is openness to loss in particular is what I'm thinking. Where we realize we're just humans, we're frail, we're vulnerable, we're sinful. We're actually not created to have it all together. Perfection and control are not virtues in our faith. Humility is. And so lean into that. Don't give in to the temptation to tell the story of your life as a story of triumph and success. Actually tell the story of your weakness and the strength of the Lord in you. Because the more and more you open, you are open to loss, the more when those losses come, they are just shedding away false identities and stories that have been fixtures for you, but they are not the Lord. The truth is that only God's love is unshakable. And God doesn't, pro- doesn't protect us. It doesn't, he doesn't um, make it so that we avoid loss and grief, but he does sustain us. His love does sustain us in the midst of every earthquake and hurricane that comes our way. Openness. And the third thing is just a reminder to meet with the Lord. Meet with Jesus Christ. That can look in so many different ways. It can, it can be uh, in, in, in prayer. It can be in song. It can be in dance. It can be sipping a cup of tea or coffee, reading a book. But whatever you do, practice the presence of the Lord with gratitude on one hand and openness in the other. One particular pastor has a phrase that I really like. He says, have your daily rendezvous with God with no agenda but love. No systems or strategy. It's just love and be loved by the Lord. To be grounded looks different ways for all of us. But I encourage you and I ask you to make sure we are grounding ourselves in the love of the Lord alone, a love that is infinite, it is wide, it is deep. It is like the ocean, and we're just immersed in it. Maybe you've felt deeply unrooted or destabilized by life circumstances. Maybe you felt destabilized by an illness or something that has come over you, an anxiety or depression. Maybe you just feel afraid or alone. Let the Lord breathe on you as he breathed on his disciples. Fear not. The Lord loves you through and through and through. When those earthquakes do come in our lives, we can relinquish every impulse to be satisfied by anything anything that is not the love of the Lord. As we ground ourselves in the Lord, we can finally learn the real truth that God's love does not depend 
on anything, but is rather that which everything else depends on, including us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we, we cast our cares upon you. We cast our worries and our frustrations upon you, knowing that you care for us and you will sustain us. We pray for everyone here who is struggling to put their confidence in you. We pray for everyone here who needs to be reminded of how life-transforming and eternal your love, everlasting your love is for us. We pray that you administer your love to us this morning and that you would uproot us from everything that we've let grow in us that is not from you. We pray these things in the name of the one who saves, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.